Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. My name is Matt Harris. I am one of the elders here. I get the privilege of serving on the elder board with Pastor Stephen, Pastor Matt, wherever he is, there is. And uh, it's a joy. Um, my wife, Sue, is in Coa Kids right now. Um, but honestly, I'm, I didn't write this sermon this week. It's not that impressive that he calls me on Thursday and says, can you preach? And I have, you know, an hour and a half of sermon. No, I'm not kidding. But I preached this before in Somerville, so she heard it then. So I think uh, she's going to be good. Um, so let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Father, we just ask that, uh, we, we ask that you would calm me down, calm my heart, uh, minimize me so that you can be magnified, Lord. Give me the words to, to share that you've given me such that I can help communicate the truth of your glory, the truth of your beauty, the fact that you will never leave us and that we can trust you completely, Lord. Thank you for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. So many of you actually know me, and you know some of the things that I'm really passionate about. Here's the top five things that I'm really passionate about in ascending order, okay? Number five, and this may surprise you, number five on the list is the New England Patriots. I'm a big Patriots fan, but they're only number five, okay? Um, Secondly, I love carpentry and woodworking and building things. That's really cool. I guess I'd like to do that rather than watch the Patriots. Third on the list, sailing. I love sailing. I've been sailing all my life. It's, it's so freeing and enjoyable, and I love taking people sailing. So maybe this summer, if some of you want to go sailing with me, we'll go. Fourth on the list, my amazing and beautiful wife, Sue. As I mentioned, she's not here. But some of you, when you see her, tell her that I said she's amazing and she's beautiful. Top on my list, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, you may not know that there's another area of interest that really consumes me, and that is space. I know, weird, huh? I'm a geek, what can I say? I'm a space junkie. I'm fascinated by all things space, right? Yeah, if I had a tattoo, it would probably be the NASA logo. My favorite movie in the world is Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks, yep. I have rarely lost a Trivial Pursuit match when the questions were about space. I have toured Kennedy Space Center. I even watched a SpaceX launch while I was there. Okay, here's a little participation from you. You know this old joke. When I say, I'm so old, you say, right, I am so old. I am so old that I actually watched on TV Neil Armstrong Take the first steps on the moon. That's how old I am. Anyone else in here? I don't think so. Okay. 
But I saw it, I was in Saugus, Massachusetts at my aunt's house and it was a, one of those little circular TVs and it was flickery on black and white, but I'll never forget it. I'm fascinated by space and space travel. I love sci-fi. So let's talk about space for a second. Everyone knows what a telescope is, right? You've got those small telescopes that you can see a couple of miles maybe. And then you've got things like the Hubble Space Telescope. Google some pictures from the Hubble Space Telescope. They're astounding. The purpose of this telescope is to gather light from cosmic objects so that scientists can better understand our universe. Now, there's a new telescope that was launched, believe it or not, December 25th of 2021 called the Webb Space Telescope. I don't know a lot about this, but it's really interesting. But it makes the Hubble Space Telescope look like something you got out of a Cracker Jack box. Telescopes can like collect light from far off objects and they focus it so you can see that object. But did you know that a telescope is actually a time machine? What I mean by that is, so when a scientist looks at the sun in a telescope, now do not do this, okay? Don't do that. But when a scientist does with special precautions, when they look at a sun, they can see things like solar flares and eruptions on the surface of the sun in their telescope. But they don't see it in real time because the sun is 93 million miles away from Earth and light travels at 186,000 miles per second. It takes light eight minutes to get from the sun to the telescope. So what they're looking at, these eruptions, the solar flares, they're looking at what took place in history eight minutes ago. So in a very real sense, a telescope is a time machine. You can look back, and you can look back essentially in history. When we look up at the night sky and we see beautiful stars in the sky and they're so far away, those, the light from those stars has been traveling to Earth for many, 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 many years and before it hits our eyes. So, for example, if, if, a, if a, a planet or a solar system or a star exploded and it was no longer there, we wouldn't know because we don't get to see that light until light years later. But you're looking into the past. You're looking into history. And the, the stronger the telescope is, the further back you can look, the further back in history you get to look. Now, I know that's pretty nerdy, right? But if that's not nerdy enough, let's get real geeky here. Suppose an alien civilization far away from us had a, a telescope that made the Webb Space Telescope look like a Cracker Jack toy. And they pointed it at us. They could look back and see our history. They might see, for example, the Titanic hit an iceberg. If they were even further away still, they might see the pilgrims sail in and land in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And if they were even further away still, they might see a cold and tired, scared, pregnant little girl on a donkey in Bethlehem, the birth of the Holy Son. In real time, not in real time, but in history, because they're far away. But when I think of space and the speed of light, it makes me feel kind of small, right? I mean, the God who created the universe and all of these things in it sees us and loves us. Even though we are small and our time here on earth is almost insignificant in the grand scheme of things. That God invites us to walk with him and to trust in him.
Proverbs 3 calls us to trust this God who made the universe and who's and who has a perspective we can't possibly fathom, but it's not just because he's smarter than us, it's because he loves us more than anyone could, and because trusting in him is for our good, not his. So today's message, we'll be looking in the book of Proverbs. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, please look up in the book of Proverbs chapter 3. We're looking at just two verses, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. After I read the scripture, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you would respond by saying, thanks be to God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. King Solomon was the main author of the book of Proverbs and this is what he's telling us about walking with God. Three main points. He's equipping us to know who to trust. He's comforting us when we lean away from ourselves, and he's directing us on straight paths and to not take detours. Verse five starts, trust in the Lord with all your heart. So what does it mean to trust? I trust that a chair I sit in is gonna support my weight. I trust that the sun will set tonight and rise again tomorrow morning. So these are things and events that we usually put our trust in, right? I also have a tendency to trust in comfort and things, unfortunately. I trust in my truck is going to start in the morning and that my recliner chair is going to be comfortable and that my huge TV that my wife made me buy, that's a story for another time, is going to be, go on when I press the button. And I feel pretty good about my 401k and my health and my health care. So I've got a lot of blessings. You may trust in some of these things as well, and as well as other things. Your great job, your advanced degrees, your dashing good looks. These are not bad things, and it's okay to value and appreciate them. But these things can change. Enjoy and share them with others, but put all your trust in the Lord, the provider, healer, restorer, friend of sinners, lover of your soul. He will never change. When Solomon uses the word trust in this passage, he's effectively referring to someone who is helplessly lying face down on the ground. Not something like, I trust in that chair that's gonna hold my weight, but utterly helpless themselves. What about people? Who do you trust? You might trust a parent, a mentor, a teacher, a police officer, a pastor, a boss. Some of these people we trust by our very nature. Sometimes trusting them is good. It works out, but unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't. Hopefully, your life has been positively impacted when you've placed your trust in some of these people. But not everyone can claim that. Verse five of our scripture tells us that we should trust in the Lord with all our heart. And this is because unlike things and people of this world who will fail us, the Lord will not. Let's think for a second about our kids. We've got moms and dads in here today. Becoming a brand new parent is one of the most powerful transformations any of us can experience. 
Remember back when you first learned that you were pregnant or soon to be fostering or adopting a child? This was amazing and exciting news. And in the case of being pregnant, that excitement grows for nine months of expectancy and mystery. And there is pain at the birth, at the moment of birth, but then there's almost instantly the beginning of an unending love affair with this new beautiful person. God creates this bond between baby and parent, and it transcends our station in life. It ignores your financial status. It overturns, overrules, overrides, and overflows your job, your degrees, your good looks, your bank account, and your gifting. You absolutely love this child, and this child absolutely trusts you. But a newborn baby can't decide to trust its parents. It doesn't make a choice to trust them. They don't have the cognitive ability to do that. Fortunately, they don't need to. They don't need to work at it to trust their mom and dad. God instilled that trust into each child. And in the case of fostered and adopted children, I believe that that trust develops as love takes root and relationships take shape. I know from experience that adopted children love and trust their parents because while I am one of three children in my family, my brother and sister are both adopted. And they proved to me time and time again how much they loved and trusted our parents. Thank you, God, for our children and the bond of trust you built between us as parents. Some people we trust based on our experience Some we trust because our society encourages us to trust them. All of these people, though, well-intentioned, can fail you. And because I'm a flawed sinner, I've failed my wife and my children. Yet they continue to trust and to love and care for me. So as children naturally trust their parents, who can fail them, how much more should we trust God, who loves us perfectly, and will never fail us. So for these people who we come to trust, respect them and obey them, love them and care for them, but trust hopelessly face down in the Lord because he is the never changing creator, rescuer, redeemer and good shepherd. He's the alpha and the omega, the king of kings and Lord of lords. He is the ransom for our sins. If you've placed your trust in Jesus, you are no longer a slave to sin. And even though your freedom was bought at a very high price, this was a price he was willing to pay. I have three scriptures I want to share that show that. From Psalm 136, his steadfast love endures forever. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because of his great love, you can trust the Lord with all your heart, trust the Lord with all your faith, trust the Lord with all your mind, trust the Lord with your finances, your career, with your relationships. Trust in the Lord in times of affliction, Trust in, the, in times of doubt, in tri- times of concern. 
Trust in the Lord in times of temptation. Trust in the Lord in times of darkness. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Here's an example of trusting in the Lord during times in my life when things were not going well. You may have been in this same situation at some time in your life. So like I said earlier, I'm old and I've been out of work a few times. Finding yourself out of work is, it can happen to anyone and it's because you de- it could be because you decide to resign your job and go on to a new job. However, you can also be let go, which is pretty much something your employer does decide for you. In my career, I've had approximately 10 different jobs. And I'm at about a 50-50 level, 50% I've resigned and 50% I've been asked to leave, okay? Be laid off really stinks. I was fortunate that before I was ever laid off though, I was a follower of Jesus. Because of my faith, when I got my pink slip, I did not feel alone. Certainly, I had my wife, Sue, and she has always been my greatest fan. But more importantly, I had a personal relationship with a loving God who made sure that all of my needs were met. I was able to place my trust fully in the Lord with all of my heart, knowing that he had plans for me and lead me. He would lead me into joy, and he had plans to give me a hope and a future. Who's a Toby Mac fan? I am. Like his music a lot. You probably know him as a musical artist. Did you know that in October of 2019, Toby Mac lost his 21-year-old son, Truett? I saw a video of Toby Mac talking and sharing some thoughts on grief and loss. He talked about counseling and how helpful it's been to him. He talked about, most importantly, his community, the people who cared for him, the people around him, his bandmates, his family, his, his neighbors, his fans. He said this was one of the most important things during this deep, dark time of grief. The community around him was the body of Christ. And in that way, he saw God's love. And he said in this video, he said, I didn't know God stayed close in those times, the raging storms of grief, but I've learned that he does. He really does. When I was saved in 1987, I knew practically nothing about God. I had doubts in some of the truths of God, about creation, about heaven, but I heard the good news of the gospel, that Jesus died for me, and I believed. Then I began studying and learning about his love and his commandments, about his character and his sovereignty. How much did I trust when I first believed? Well, I trusted in God with my life and my eternity, but I didn't know a lot about him or the Bible. But I knew somehow that I could trust him. I still can't claim great knowledge of the Bible or of God. I'm still growing in grace and knowledge. Can you trust in God in things you have doubts in? Especially, what if you have doubts about God? Can you trust him then? Well, you can. You can trust in the Lord with your doubts, even when you doubt him. He's not discouraged by your doubts. He loves you unconditionally. He's big enough to handle your doubts. He's even big enough to handle your anger at him. 
You can share those things with him. He'll listen. He'll understand. He'll never stop reaching out to you. Listen, if you're just checking out Christianity, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for joining us this morning. Secondly, it would make sense if you have questions and doubts about the teaching of the Bible. And it wouldn't surprise me that you hesitate to put your trust into something that you have questions about. I have a quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, which I think talks about this. It says, to have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. Thus, if you have really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you're trying to obey him. But trying in a new way, a less worried way, not doing things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already, not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act a certain way because a first glimpse and gleam of heaven is already inside you. He has begun the work in you. The second part of verse five reads, do not lean on your own understanding. In this part, Solomon is encouraging us to lean on or find support for our decision-making on something greater than ourselves. That doesn't mean we should not think or use our brains, but we should not consider our wisdom to be the end-all, conclusive resolution to any circumstance. This is kind of a tough message here in Boston amongst so many talented, gifted, brilliant people who, have, who are drawn to the city because they are smart, talented, and driven. Many of you hold profound and deep knowledge of things of the world. Mathematics, music, art, biology, neurology, engineering, all the sciences and medical areas are highly regarded here in Boston. So where do I get off telling you not to lean on your own understanding? Well, one way is to try to grasp the vast depth and precise intricacy of this world, the indescribable complex systems that are just, we are just barely beginning to understand. Many areas of knowledge that we probably haven't even considered yet. I, for one, do not think that the pace of discovery is winding down or that we pretty much have answered most of man's major questions. Here's why. See all of these accomplishments of man. The first lunar landing was 49 years ago. The first Martian landing was 47 years ago. The Hubble Space Telescope was launched 25 years ago. The Webb Space Telescope was launched a month ago. Medical treatments and research and study is showing great promise in treating, reversing, and even eradicating disease. But here's the thing. All these discoveries I just listed all took place in the last 50 years. So are we done discovering? Have we found it all? Why would we think that discovery is going to stop and wind down now? It's not going to stop. By definition, there is a lot of stuff that we have not figured out yet. Scholars agree so much that they've started making lists 
of unsolved problems in astronomy, biology, economics, linguistics, medicine, and the list goes on. I believe that mankind, while having made great strides in understanding our world since the Renaissance and the Great Awakening, is really just starting to scratch the surface of the scale and scope of creation. And apparently, the book of Job describes this too. In the book of Job, Job was declaring his uprightness, integrity, and mercy. And he was telling his friends that he did not covet nor idolize and that he was not guilty of hypocrisy or violence. And then his friend, Eliyahu, began rebuking him for not recognizing his fallen nature. And then God decided to pile on with a very sarcastic rebuke to Job. In Job 38, four through seven, it says, this is God speaking to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its foundation, its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. I don't know if there's a more humbling way to put into perspective the ignorance of man and the greatness of God. God's reference to his own creation reminds us how immeasurable and vast he is. He also emphasizes how solid and secure its foundation is. We do not need to concern ourselves with it, for it is of his design. Similarly, we can rely on the cornerstone that he laid in the person of Jesus Christ. Solid, secure, with unconditional love for you. And this is the vast and immeasurable as the creation itself. Forgiveness for sins that places them as far removed from you as the East is from the West. Okay, confession time for me. I tend to think pretty highly of my own opinions. Ask my wife, she will tell you that. When determining how to go about something, I think my way is probably the best, better than most. Anyone else feel that way sometimes? But seriously, I can get pretty overwhelmed when trying to put forth opinions on weightier topics. I do feel very limited. I don't have a broad enough view in many instances. And for some major situations, the outcome can be life-changing and long-lasting. As one of the elders at Coa Forest Hills, I rely heavily on my fellow elders, their wives, and our deacon candidates to share the burden towards wisdom and in leading God's people. But even still, we learn in Jeremiah that it's not enough for our own efforts that we strive forward. Jeremiah 10.23 says, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself. But it, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Even when we feel confident in our approach, we need to lift it up to God before, during, and after deliberation. We see that in the prophet's writings as well. Isaiah 58, 55, eight or nine says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. But often we simply drive forward on our own approach, 
What is keeping us from simply submitting and no longer leaning on our own understanding? Stubbornness and pride? Fear of what others would think? Fear of failure? Or because we lack trust in the Lord? Fear that the Lord's outcome is not what really we want. But if it is what God would have, then shouldn't we be of the same mind? Our culture, schools, and places of business encourage us to think outside the box, to be a thought leader. I bet that your employer would want you to bring your ideas, creative energies, motivations, and thoughts to your job every day. Otherwise, why would they have hired you? I bet your spouse would really appreciate that you share your opinions, recommend a course of action, and actively interact, if that's a word, in the current and future decisions of, and directions of your family. Whether those decisions are big or small, where to live, how to spend your money, how to raise your children, should the eggs be scrambled or fried, we want opinions from our spouses. But what if those thoughts, opinions, and directions that you were, that bring that you bring were not all your own, but based on prayer, reflection, and a leaning not on your own understanding, but on God's? What if your decisions and conclusions formed themselves based on prayer with others, conversations with your CG, discussions with your church leaders, reliance on the godly network that you are a part of? Don't you think that the one who spoke the stars into place would be a solid resource for you to go to. Verse six is, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. In this text, to acknowledge him means to know him, but not just like knowing in your head like you know two plus two is four. It refers to a heart knowledge. To know, to consider him in all things, to invite him into every situation so that he will make your paths straight. But that doesn't mean he, doesn't, he wants you to do nothing, to just throw up your hands in, in the air and wait for situations to stabilize themselves into an outcome. Proverbs 21, 31 says, a horse is made ready for a day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Where the horse so ready yourself for the day of battle, but invite him in to your thought process, your decision-making. Invite him in. God wants us to walk in a straight path towards him. He doesn't want us to veer left and right, taking lots of wrong turns. Is that because when we are obedient and follow along directly after him, it somehow strengthens or helps him? No. It's because it helps us. In the small and the large events, decisions and problems of our lives, some of us may have a tendency to rush forward and with practiced or researched solutions to situations. We've asked local experts, we've checked social media to get pointers and best practices. I do it all the time. But how consistently do we hit the pause button, turn off our phones, and simply go to the Lord with the situation at hand? In the seats all around you this morning are folks drawn here by the common thread of Jesus. You're not here by accident. You are not here alone. One of the best ways to trust God this week is to trust that you have been placed around people that care about you 
and that you can live in community with. People who have learned that they need the care and prayer of others in their lives. God designed us to live in community with one another. In this way, God is helping make our paths straight. If you're not in a community group, maybe this beginning of 2022 is the time you should start trying to connect in one. It's connecting with God's people and stepping into community with others who are learning to trust in the Lord, leaning less on themselves and acknowledging God in their lives. I wanna conclude here by inviting you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've never bowed your heart before him and invited him to lead your life, this is critically important to hear, so lean hard into this. When we experience sorrow, pain, or rejection, it can seem like no one can understand how we feel, but Jesus does and can. Jesus was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows and grief. In Isaiah 53, it says, surely he has borne our griefs griefs and carried our sorrows, yet he was esteemed Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. That's the good news. He carried our grief and sorrow, and he carried them to the cross on which he died. He carried your sin and transgressions, and he took the penalty for you, He snatched the sentence of death away from you and took it upon himself. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. So not only does he make our path straight here on earth, but he makes a dependable, direct path for you to live in peace throughout all eternity with him in heaven. And that path starts when you trust him as Lord. Now, this may not be new to you, or maybe this is something you've heard before, but never made a personal decision about. Perhaps a few weeks ago, you came to a Christmas service for the first time, or first time in a long time, seeking to connect with others, seeking to connect with God. On Christmas, we celebrate that God came down as a baby to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And at Easter coming up, we will acknowledge that he willingly went to his death was buried, and three days later rose from the grave so that all who believe in him can have a new life. We need to understand that this scheme of God's to send his son to die as punishment for our sin was plan A, and there's no plan B. We certainly can't be the plan B. He wasn't going to trust to cover us to cover the cost of our own sins. On our best days, we fall short of the glory needed to do that. But we can trust him now because the spotless lamb of Jesus Christ was sacrificed in our place. Jesus came to pay a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. And you can trust the one who loves you enough to pay that debt. If you've never acknowledged you need a savior, you can do that right now. Will you consider letting go of your grip on your earthly present for your eternal future and let God direct your path? I mean, what have you got to lose, really? You can lose the weight of sin and guilt you've been carrying around. And if you've been shouldering 100% of the responsibility of making all the right decisions and navigating all the right paths towards a bright and shining future, you can transfer that responsibility from your shoulders to his. 
I want to invite the praise team to start making their way back up. But I know what you're thinking. You might think it's not fair to put my troubles on him. I mean, he's been through so much. Well, that argument doesn't hold water. First off, the God that created a universe so vast that you are a tiny little speck in it certainly is big enough to handle any of your concerns. And secondly, that ship has sailed. He's already died for your sins. It's done. It's in the past, completed. And there's nothing you need to resolve ahead of time before giving yourself to him. You don't need to clean yourself up to be acceptable in his eyes. He wants you to come just the way you are. Let's pray. Let's pray.